Welcome to the LIPN Podcast, brought to you by the members of the Long Island Professional Network, where business professionals come to grow. Thanks for listening. I'm Merrill Loeschner, Marketing and Communications Consultant and Podcast Producer with Smith Douglas Associates. If you live in suburbia, you probably have a lawn, and trying to keep it and your whole landscape healthy and watered can be a real hassle. To learn more, I reached out through the Long Island Professional Network to Dennis Rilmuto of Professional Irrigation. We spoke about some of the problems that people can have with their grass, why overwatering is sometimes more of an issue than underwatering, and how the right irrigation system can make all the difference in maintaining your investment in your landscape. Dennis, thank you so much for joining us today. I have some questions about my grass. We're on Long Island. This is suburbia. The lawn is king. My yard, it is a, is a disaster. Why, why is my grass brown? What is not working here? Grass can be brown for several reasons. Lack of water, lack of nutrients, lack of sunlight. Brown grass could be the time of the year also. Type of grass also has an effect. If you're talking about a zoysia type grass, it really doesn't turn green until it gets to be about 70 degrees. So zoysia is that grass that seems to be very hardy, almost like a Bermuda grass. And if it's not zoysia, then there's other things going on. Your tall fescues, your Kentucky blues, which are actually a tulip, a cool grass, begin to turn green once the temperatures start to moderate. Uh, somewhere around 50 degrees in the day, it stops freezing at night, and your grass will begin to turn green if it's got water, sun, and some nutrients. What about the other plants I have in the bushes and the plants around the perimeters of my lawn? They're, they're not looking all that healthy either. They usually are in the same category. In other words, they do need the same three nutrients, sunlight, and water. The most common problem with shrubs and perennials is stress. Now, they can be stressed either way, either too much water or not enough. In the case of shrubs, they like that happy balance, just like your household plants do. And the root zone must be a moderately moist. It can fits too much water, they will go into stress. If it's not enough water, they go into stress. If I ask your guys to come over to give me an estimate, what do you look at first when you're looking at my landscape? When I look at your landscape, uh, the condition of what you already have, how's it doing without irrigation? I will also ask you, uh, do you water? Are you consistently watering? grass that is watered on a regular basis and that does not mean every day or even every other day grass that is watered properly usually goes through the summer and does very well grass that dries out can go into stress and once the chloroform is pulled back it can take two to three weeks of regular watering to kind of get the green back into the leaves and broad you know the broad leaves and so forth is most problems caused by not enough water or too much water? 
If you have an irrigation system and you're having problems, it usually means you're overwatering. Of all the customers I've seen in the last 45 years or so, if they've got an irrigation system, especially if they have clay-heavy soils, it's usually too much watering. They're overwatering to compensate for the areas that are not getting enough water. Grass is a very shallow root system, and it tends to dry out quickly. But if your system is not separated between lawns, shrubs, evergreens, perennials, and so forth, you're trying to water everything on the same program. And each one of those individual plants and lawns, shrubs, whatever they may be, require different watering amounts, whether they be in the sun, whether they're in the shadow of the house, or just in shade. Water requirements are different to almost every small environment, uh, micro environment. When you're designing a layout for an irrigation system, you're not only looking at the lawn, but you're looking at the existing planting and determining what part gets a little more water, which parts get a little less. I look at what's mature. That's kind of the first thing I look at. There's a lot of established indigenous plants that really don't need your help to survive, especially if they're established. They're tolerant of the normal short periods of no rain and slight droughts. So when I walk on a property, I not only look at your lawn, which is usually the high priority in an irrigation system, but the annuals and the perennials and some of the shrubs also like their water. You get into the hydrangeas, uh, rhododendrons, the azaleas. They like their soil area fairly moist, and that keeps them vibrant all season long, especially the hydrangeas, which are notorious for flagging every afternoon, somewhere around 2 o'clock. But if they're watered and they got enough moisture at the base of their roots, they'll pop up as soon as the sun goes down. Do you work with landscapers? If I'm deciding an entirely new landscape to my home, do you work with the landscapers to develop the best irrigation program for what that landscaper is planning to plant? Excellent question. Very much so. Every irrigation system, as far as I'm concerned, should be designed around your landscaping and not the other way around. I've only done it on a few occasions where they say, come install the system, I want it now, and I'll do the landscaping later. I need to see what type of plants you're putting in. The landscape plans that I uh, work with, I understand what kind of material they're putting in, what the beds are going to look like. I take notice to whether there's a lot of shade, what faces south, what faces east, the hot areas of a lawn. You can take a piece of property and you'll have hot spots, areas that need a lot more water, need it more frequently. So it you must have a good picture of what's happening. When we deal with the landscapers, my job is to make them look good. And I do that by ensuring that the plant material that they're going to put in survives and flourishes. I also understand what the plant's going to look like four to five years from now. Plant growth and how much water it will need in the future. And very cognizant of not overwatering and using sprinkler heads and soaker zones and stuff so that the material gets proper water without a lot of ugly sticks and shrub rises sticking up around the property. They do nothing to enhance the landscaping. You sound a lot more than just your average sprinkler guy. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not your sprinkler guy. Uh, I love them all. I, I understand and I have credentials and I, uh, there's a few contractors on the island and I'm as qualified I, as I am. But the idea is that you must understand 
that there's a lot more to this than putting some pipes together and sprinkler heads and spraying. A sprinkler system is, it's like a car. As we all know, there's different kinds of cars or even different kinds of wines. I always use the term that the first system that you buy is usually one of the gallows or something along those lines. And as you mature and your taste gets better, you understand that there's a complexity of the landscaping. And that complexity must increase or should have been built around your irrigation system. In other words, you must understand what's planted, the soil conditions or what type of soil it is, and how much water is going to be needed. A lot of your taller evergreens or what we call woody plants, you water them the first two years, and if they're indigenous to the area, they don't need water anymore. So the idea of building a system that's going to water for the next 10 years, doing both the shrubs and the lawn, it just doesn't make sense. How do you determine what a project will cost? What do you look at when you first visit someone's landscape to get an idea of what they need? Cost is built around what they need. and That's excellent terminology. When I design a system, I deal with the customer first. What are their priorities? You know, do they have a budget? Do they foresee staying in the house a long time? Which is a very real question sometimes. Sometimes, you know, the people kind of put a lipstick on a pig, you know, just to sell the house in the next year or two. When I talk to a customer, I, I get a good feeling as to whether or not they're very involved in their landscaping or they just want it to look good. Somebody who's very involved in the landscaping is a very good customer to me because they understand what I'm going to tell them and what the difference is between just sprinkling things and the actual watering properly in balance. A system should be designed around what the plant material is, what the landscape's going to look like now and 10 years from now if you're going to maintain the house. If I already have an existing lawn irrigation system or landscape irrigation system, can you make it better? 95% of the time, yes. My experience when I do this and go on to a piece of property that already has a system is where we usually shine. In other words, uh, sometimes an irrigation system isn't doing what it should do. And sometimes it's a factor of age and changing of the landscaping. And sometimes it's just needs help. And that's where I come in and I'll go zone by zone and do an evaluation showing each area and what's wrong with it. What can it cost to have it renovated or fixed? And I give the customer a, a broken down estimate so that let's take your priorities you know whether it's you know your budget doesn't allow you to do the whole thing let's take it in steps you know this year we can do this next year we can move forward and do more and that's kind of one of our expertise frank and i both do this extensively and the idea of uh let's improve your landscaping i i always love the challenge of a you know upgrading or improving an irrigation system if this is my first irrigation system, one of the first things I'm going to ask is, what is this going to do to my water bill? It's going to increase it, is the answer I give 85, 90% of the time. Unless you were very diligent and dragging the hose around consistently all summer long, we all start, it's like the diet, we all start out really good, but by the end of July, we've had enough of this. And that's when everything goes into stress through the heat of the August and so forth. It's going to increase your water. Some water districts, the water bill is not very expensive. Rule of thumb, 
for me is whatever your water bill is during the season of not watering, you can probably double to triple your water cost. But water properly set in the rain sensors, water what's needed and when it's needed. There are customers that are astonished at what the water bill is, but at the same time, they've set the irrigation to water every other day from May 1st until October 15th. 50, 60, 70% of that water wasn't needed. You've overwatered most of the time. You mentioned rain sensors, so my irrigation system won't kick on if it's been raining for a week? It shouldn't. If it's been raining for a week, the new rain sensors, they actually work fairly well. They will shut the system down, depending on how I set it, whether it's an eighth of an inch or a quarter of an inch. The system will stop watering via the rain sensor until the rain sensor dries out again. With that said, rain sensors should be put where the rain will hit it. It should be put in an area that represents your property. And I don't mean underneath, underneath the trees or the overhang of a house. You know, so it does get the water and it does shut it down. Rain sensors need to be monitored. If you see that the system is watering when the rain sensor is in use, the rain sensor might have gone sour. Something could have gone wrong. Most rain sensors are very dependable and they work very well. Is there a law saying I have to use a rain sensor? In some areas of the country, you must have a rain sensor. Here on Long Island, Nassau County, it's now required. Uh, I cannot install a system unless I do have a rain sensor in the system. Suffolk County has not enforced that yet, but they'll come around with the idea of water conservation and efficient watering. The rain sensor is the first step in protecting a natural resource. If you're updating an existing system, you'll add the rain sensor if there's not one already there. Oh, of course. If a rain sensor is more than five years old, chances are I will replace it. What about my water pressure? Because, you know, I like those nice, long, hot, high-powered showers in the morning. Water pressure has to do more with the water district that you're in or the well that is providing water. One of the first things we do is take a water pressure test, and we follow that up with a flow test. So that whether you have gobs of water in the house or low pressure, that's the first determining factor in designing a system. I must know how much water is available. That's the heart of the system. We can design a system that works around your water pressure and your water volume. If you find that the shower is being interfered by the irrigation system, we can actually do what we call a dual operation. In other words, we'll actually start the system prior to your shower, give you a two-hour window to shower, and let the system continue after that. So there's ways of dealing with water pressure, even in low-pressure areas. I'm imagining if I'm getting a brand-new system, I'm just seeing in my mind ditches and backhoes and you guys completely destroying my existing lawn. Is, is that how you install the pipes? We install the pipe via a machine that actually slices the lawn, laying the pipe 10 to 12 inches below grade. The better the lawn that we arrive at, the better the job comes out. If you're, you've got a good, healthy lawn that has a good root structure, we're able to actually slice that lawn, make sod out of it if we have to, flip it over, install the sprinkler heads, and reset it by pounding, raking, and then if we have to, just drop a little bit of seed. A lot of our customers are very shocked that I can't even tell you we're here. 
What about the other plants and bushes around my yard? If you're going to put sprinkler heads near them, are you going to be digging up my garden? We try to avoid roots. When we look at a system and look at the plant structure, the foliage of the plant kind of gives you an idea where the root structure is that, that is below ground. And if we're going to set up a sprinkler head behind a shrub or something, we go behind the, the plant structure itself and try to avoid doing any root damage at all. You know, The less root damage you do, the better. On a regular basis, what's the best time to water? Should I just set my sprinklers to go off at night so it, they don't get in the way? There's two thoughts to this. One, you should only water during the day, which uh, there is some practical idea to that. In other words, funguses and some of the diseases that grow on uh, the lawn itself can be induced by watering and the plant staying wet. If you water every other day, there's a long enough term for the leaf of the grass to dry out and you will not have the fungus. My plan is to water at night, basically for the factor that you have zero evaporation. It doesn't interfere with household usage. And most water districts now require no watering during day operation. So you're almost forced to water between the hours at, say, 10 p.m. at night and 6 a.m. in the morning. Here's a question. What if my problem isn't I don't have enough water in my landscape, but I have too much? What if I have these lake-like puddles that develop every time it rains? That's a situation where you're overwatering. In other words, the soil is no longer percolating. The soil becomes saturated. There's no room for the water to go into the soil. You're overwatering. Now, this can be caused by clay soils or it can be caused by just too much water. Usually we find that situation in uh, heavy clay soil. What you can do there is what they call soak and cycle. In other words, you water for five minutes, it actually shuts off, comes back on 10 minutes later, waters for five minutes and comes back. And what you're doing here is allowing that water to saturate the clay soil very slowly. And it's uh, a sprinkler system is never one time and forget it. You can't just set it. You must monitor what's going on. And that's why even before when I said I like people who are very involved in their landscape, because they'll, they'll notice that something's going awry or this is too wet or that's too dry. And we can adjust the system accordingly, uh, not only from the time element to the uh, precipitation rates to the so, you know, cycle system that we I mentioned prior, and it allows us to do what's needed to adjust for proper watering. What sort of licenses and permits do you need for the jobs you do? Nassau County requires a home improvement license. Suffolk County requires a restricted plumber's license. Every municipality, county, even some of the towns require different permits. Water districts require different kind of applications also. Uh, it all depends on where you're looking to do the work. You get into some of the uh, small municipalities uh, on the north shore of Long Island, and they actually ask you for a design, a permit, backflows, rain sensors, gallon per minute usage, design, and they'll actually come out and check your work. You know, did you do what you drew? And uh, there's even a water company on Long Island that sends it out to a private third party out in uh, Colorado to approve your plan. So there, anything from simple, there's no requirements, I can just do this, to plumbing permits, 
town permits, and so forth. Do the homeowners need to get any permits before you start doing any work? I usually handle it all for the homeowner. Most of the time, the homeowner pays for the permits and so forth, but the rapport that I have with most of the water companies and the towns, I kind of can expedite what's needed. If I fill out the permit or fill out the drawings and the drafts and so forth, it's done correctly so they don't have to go back and forth three, four times. And I just hand them the check and everything's approved. What made you get into the irrigation business? Oh, good question. I actually, first job I installed was in 1967. Uh, I was washing my father's car and some guy walked across the street and said, kid, do you want to make 20 bucks tomorrow? And that's where I began. I was 15 years old and the guy picked me up in a little pickup truck and we went and installed a system. And it gave me $20. I actually stayed with that guy long enough. He put me through college and I Except for a short time between college and four years later, I went back to irrigation. You know, the shirt tie just didn't work. Didn't like being inside. Didn't like the hierarchy. I I wanted to be my own boss. What makes you different from other, quote-unquote, sprinkler guys and irrigation companies around here on the island? Professional irrigation was started in 1979, April 1. I started out like every other young individual naive, ambitious. And as I got into doing more and more, I found education to be the key to this. In other words, the understanding of soil, moisture, plant material, understanding what the plant needs. It's taken some time. I have initials after my name that represent that I have taken certain classes, certain tests, and it shows that I'm proficient in uh, in understanding what is and isn't. I understand better business practices or design of an irrigation system, the hydraulics, the electric involved. What does it take to actually build a system is more than just putting water through pipe. On the other side of the coin, I've got 14, 15 guys with me now that have been with me a very long time. Uh, The first guy walked in my office in 1980. He's now my service manager. He's still there. And I've got 12 other guys who've been with me more than 15 years. Many of those service techs have what they call the CIT, Certified Irrigation Technician, which is, again, a national class that they take, and there's a test afterwards. Those guys have shown proficiencies in understanding more than just putting pipes together. There's an office behind me also that we're usually in by 6.30 in the morning, and I usually lock up about 7.30 at night. So there's always somebody there to answer the phone, we're able to respond. Having enough trucks out there, uh, I've got five or six service trucks out every day doing just service. So we're covering the Long Island fairly well. So you said your staff has a tendency to stay for a long time. What's your staff like? (laughs) Old men now. They've been around a while, but that also, the maturity also comes with knowledge it comes with the knowing that they they understand the homeowner too. I get more praise for my workers than I can count. It makes me feel good. You know, Wayne was a great guy. Wayne, how long has he been with you? Well, he walked in my office as uh, you know, in 1982, he's still here, you know. Uh yeah, he's been he's, you know, he came in at the age of 18 whatever he was. And he's now 57, 58. He's still there, you know. So it's a good family. You know, sometimes you kind of get kicked in the butt, but they were all family now. And when the economy went sour, it, it cost me to, because they kept their medical. I kept them paid. 
Uh, and I took out some serious loans to make sure everybody got through that period. What other services does professional irrigation offer? I guess I started landscape lighting when uh, Bill Loran first offered it in 1984, I believe it was. I sat in a class and he came out with this low voltage transformer and the lights and I got hooked. Uh, I've done anything from simple residential to a large piece of property up on the North Shore of you know, three acres. And I've done a job in five towns where all the fixtures were ar- architectural fixtures, which were very expensive. But I enjoy the landscape lighting. It's uh, a challenge. The idea with landscape lighting is to make it look picturesque, make it look pretty, enhance the landscaping without the runway look or the security light look. We got into holiday lighting around the year 2000. It, again, is done the same uh, text and so forth, and they're very careful people, shrubs, and the look that we want is a holiday look without being overly decorated or too much lights. Lighting at night is appreciated because of the darkness, and if there's not a good balance or you overdo too much, you kind of lose the wow factor. I do some drainage, uh, French drains and outside drains. You know, if you've got a water problem, then it has to be moved. I've had several jobs where I brought in a you know, drywell contractor who dug a drywell, put a drywell in for me. And we do French drains as needed around the property to collect some of that rainwater that's not seeping into the soil as fast as we would like. What are some of your favorite client stories? I, I guess my biggest forte had to be Liberty Island, Ellis Island. Handled that for about 20 years. That was mine uh, exclusively. But this goes back to prior to 9-11. We were able to get on Ellis Island, Liberty Island, with a, a wave by the guard, and he let us on. The, the customers that really appreciate us are the ones who, after 20 years, are still calling me back, you mm-hmm. know, 25 years. And they don't just call me for irrigation. They call me for everything else now, uh, whether it be landscape lighting, uh, I've got a doctor up in Sayasa calls me for his dry well. You know, take care of this for me. He's not asking me how, when, where. Just, I can't, you know, take care of it. So there's a relationship that I build with customers that uh, they stick around. My attrition rate is somewhere around 2 2.5%. Uh, customers usually move. Unfortunately, some of them even die. But, you know, it's a life change more than it is you aren't fair to me or you, you know, that kind of stuff. My value is not so much built into price as much as it's the ability to reach me, knowing they're getting what they're paying for, knowing that I'm going to stand behind what I do. If someone wanted more information and wanted to reach out to you, how can people find you? You can always find me through the office. The Neanderthal I am, I prefer to be called on the telephone. My office number is 631-789-0500. If you really need me in a pinch, everybody's got my cell number, 516-805-6347. If you call me on Sunday, I don't answer. If you're drowning, I'll call you back. If not, I'll see you Monday. Thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to the LIPN Podcast, brought to you by the Long Island Professional Network and produced by Smith Douglas Associates. To learn more about the LIPN, visit our website at lipn.org or join our meetup under Long Island Professional Network.